Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm supposed to be connecting with Peter uh, Bailey in, on Zoom in Israel. And uh, we're not connected yet. We're going to be connected shortly. And I'm just um, I'm at at home. And this we are on High FM 101.9 High FM. Craig and I are sending sort of hand messages to each other. Peter Bailey is a friend of mine. He's in Israel. And he is my military go-to guy, to tell you the truth. I always go to him when I need anything. Craig, have we got him, Peter, online? Yes. Okay. Hi, Peter. How are you? Well, thanks, Sue. Good morning. How are oh, you? Oh, there you are. Hello. How are you? I was, you oh, know okay. what, we had, we had we had load shedding, so I thought I'd lost you for a minute. <laughs> I would I'm like really to just... I would like to introduce you. Peter is a retired businessman, made earlier in 2013 to Israel. He was a major in South African Army Reserve, and um, he's a historian, a researcher on the Chaim Herzog Museum in Israel on the Jewish, in honor of Jewish soldiers. He was on my program in March with Dr. Naomi Rappaport, and he's an author of two amazing books, Men of Valor and Street Names, of Israel. Peter, before we go on, I actually would like to dedicate this to someone that I never knew, but without whom I wouldn't be here. And that is to my grandfather, my father's father, Major Alexander White Darby. He, he got the order of the British Empire and he was killed in action by the Japanese in 1943 in Bengal, India. And he's buried in, uh, I think it's pronounced Guwahati Military Cemetery in Israel. And Eli Wiesel said, without memory, there is no culture. Without memory, there would be no civilization, no society, no future. And Nancy Pelosi, in a Remembrance Day, said, uh, 2019, I think it was, she said, many of the troops never had the privilege of returning home. So my grandfather never had that privilege of returning home, and therefore that's why I'd like to dedicate this to him today. So, Peter, tell me what you have got in store while we are actually talking today. Sue, we're talking today because somebody, a gentleman by the, a gentleman by the name of David Fisher, came across an old cornerstone in the bowling club at the top of observatory, at the top of Sylvia Pass in observatory. And this is the cornerstone that was originally in the Jewish Guild War Memorial Building in central Johannesburg, corner Harrison and Bree, a uh, corner von Brandes and Bree, uh, that was built uh, in 1922. The cornerstone was laid by uh, General Jan Smuts, who was then the Prime Minister. And uh, David Fisher contacted a, a friend of mine and a colleague of mine, a member of the Jewish Ex-Service League, uh, Selwyn Rogoff, and said, I've got this cornerstone. What do I do with it? 
And Selwyn sprang into action. He's a man of action. I must give that to him. And the stone was moved to West Park Cemetery, where the South African Jewish Ex-Service League had erected the South African National Jewish War Memorial. The stone was originally associated with the War Memorial, and now a hundred years later, uh, it is reunited with the War Memorial. That is the, the one aspect of what we're talking about. The other aspect is that Benji Shulman of the Zionist, uh, the South African Zionist Federation said to me, once we're doing the stone and it's associated with smuts, smuts is associated with the Belfort Declaration. We're looking at memorials to soldiers. The men of one Cape Corps that I have been researching for the last six or seven years who fell in battle in Palestine, in Ottoman Palestine, should also be remembered for what they did to bring about the, 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 the state of Israel. And at the same time, I discovered a ship called the SS Aaron Pura that had been sunk by a German uh, torpedo in 1943. On board the ship were 140 Jews from, from uh, the British Mandate Palestine who had volunteered, Yeshiv Jews, together with some 800 black Southern African soldiers. Almost uh, 800 of them perished. Uh, the 140 Jewish soldiers and 633, I think it is, black soldiers died, died together. So this is a what I call the immutable link between South Africa and Israel. And you wrote and an incredibly is, interesting article on that. And if anyone would like to pick up this article, go on to Safari or Google. And it's from Pretoria to Jerusalem the immutable links between Israel and South Africa, and it's by Peter Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y. I found it incredibly interesting, to tell you the truth, um, Peter. I, it was part of history that I certainly never, ever knew about. So this cornerstone that you actually are putting up, I see it's um, it's uh, the the plaque that's going going up. It's going to be this, this Sunday. It's going to be put up. Is that right? That is correct. This Sunday morning at 11 o'clock at West Park Cemetery. And listeners, please, we would love you to attend. Uh, the Israeli ambassador will be there. Uh, the descendant of one of the soldiers who fought at the Battle of Square Hill in, the, in one Cape Corps uh, will be there. He's a, he was a commander in the South African Navy. His grandfather won one of the highest decorations for bravery at uh, in Palestine in 1918. And the Israeli ambassador will be unveiling the plaque to the SSR in Pura. And the importance of the Erempura in Israel cannot be understated. On Mount Herzl, which is where all Israel's heroes are remembered, there is a beautiful, moving uh, memorial to the SSR in Pura. We're going to discuss that shortly. I just want to go back, though. It says, you are cordially invited to attend a remembrance of South African soldiers who sacrificed their lives in the great wars of the 20th century and changed the course of history for Israel and Jews around the world. And this is at the South African National Jewish War Memorial, West Park Cemetery, and it's between 10.30 for 11. And I see you say decorations and medals are requested to be worn uh, so anyone who's in military, uh, who has medals and decorations, or you, even if you have them from your parents or relatives, and also um, 
a yarmulke or a headdress for gentlemen is essential. Please will guests be seated by 10.45. And I see it's also going to be live streamed um, on South African Zionist Fed Facebook page. That's correct. We, we, we hope to have a huge, I don't know, in Israel we're going to have quite a large audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure what we'll have internationally. Uh, the article that I've done in the Jewish report, in, in the Jerusalem report, tells more. Okay, good. And that will be out on, on Thursday. You know, I, I was listening to a Simon Sinek um, YouTube, and it was quite fascinating because he said that we need stories. Because without stories, we don't know really who we are. But I'll get back to that shortly. Just thank you, Craig. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson, and I'm I'm back with Peter Bailey on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. If anyone would like to contact us, please do so on 34519, or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. Hello, Peter. I'm back with you again. And, um, Peter, are you there? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Okay. You know, I, I was telling you about Simon Sinek and the stories that he said. Telling one person's story touches our hearts. And I was thinking of Ukraine and Russia at the moment. And, you know, if you hear about one child who's suffering, you, you feel such compassion that, to that child. But if they suddenly mention millions or thousands or hundreds, you almost can't take it in. So it's not that same sense of of compassion that we have for one person. And, you know, in World War I, between 1914 and 1918, it says that it resulted in 17 to 20 million deaths. The number of victims in World War II is estimated at between 50 and 56 million, and some people even say 80 million. What do you say about that? Well, I suppose collective tragedy... Uh, it's always easier to accept an individual tra- uh, tragedy. When it's in the collective, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't affect us, whereas individual tragedy affects us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I think that that's, that's probably uh, how the human psyche is able to accept all these human tragedies. Absolutely. And so you, you, now going back to you and your, your article, on the, you said a combination of circumstances have created a unique opportunity for the South African Jewish community to remind all South Africans of the links between South Africa and Israel, a connection that has existed for over a 100 years. And I don't know if many people actually know that. Um, just to go on a bit about that, if you, if you wouldn't mind. We'll see that the, the connection starts... Uh with with uh, General Jan Smuts, uh, who was appointed, he was offered the command in Palestine by the British Prime Minister. Um, he refused the command and instead was appointed to the Imperial War Cabinet uh, in Britain. And on his arrival there, he met uh, Chaim Weizmann, who at that stage was a professor uh, at a university, um, and they had a lot in common. They 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 were both natural. Uh, 
people who had a great love of science, a great love of botany, a great love of nature, and they found a lot in common, including and above all, a great and strong belief that the Jewish people were entitled to a home in Palestine, which was the ancestral home of the Jewish people, ancient Israel, Judea, Samaria. And just to go back a little bit, when uh, Theodore Herzl founded the Zionist movement in, 19, in 1897, he understood that nothing could happen unless a world power agreed that the Jewish people could have their homeland in Palestine. To take this further, he visited Palestine in 1898 at the same time as the German Kaiser, and his hope was to convince the Kaiser, who was very close to the to the uh, Ottoman Sultan Abdul Hamid II, to give the Jews a piece of land to create their homeland in Palestine. So as early as 1898, he realized that unless they had support from a major world power, there would be no Jewish homeland. I don't use the word Israel because it wasn't uh, a subject at that stage. Twenty years later, after Smuts, together with Weizmann, uh, Nochem Sokolov and various other Zionist leaders had begged, cajoled, pleaded, uh, sought the assistance of Lord Rothschild, they eventually persuaded the British government to issue the Balfour Declaration in 1917. And as many people said at the time, the Brit Britain has promised a homeland to the Jewish people in a country they don't own and in a country in which they have no say. So the victory over the Ottoman Turks in Palestine was absolutely essential. Um, one Cape Corps had fought valiantly in East Africa. They were then moved to the Egyptian theater where they fell under the, under the, the, uh, the Egyptian Expeditionary Force Command. And they were detailed to fight at the Battle of Square Hill, which is the gateway leading to Afula in northern Israel. And Afula in turn is the gate, was the gateway at that stage leading to Damascus in Syria. It must be understood that Palestine, as it was, was a portion of greater Palestine, which was governed from Syria. So getting the Turks out of Palestine had to be followed by getting them out of Syria, which made Square Hill so important. And that is why that, that victory by one Cape Corps was one of the huge facts in making the Balfour Declaration an actual workable promise. Now, that Cape Corps, was it made up mostly of black South Africans, colored South Africans? It was, what, well, what to use the colloquial term, it was Cape Coloreds. Uh, oh. It was made up of, of colored people from Cape Town and from Kimberley. Um, mm. Colloquially, they were known as Cape Coloreds. I was doing some research to make sure whether I could use that word if it's politically correct. And I see the, the, the actual classification in the South African Racial act is still escape colors. Okay. So uh, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but that is the actual uh, uh, racial classification. Yes. And uh, so, so that they made up the Cape Corps. Then were they yes, drafted, or was it a voluntary uh, move, or what was it? it? It was a voluntary move. The, the, the Cape Corps is a history going back to the 1700s. It was originally founded by the 
by the Dutch under various names. And it was disbanded, I think, in around 1907 or 1908. And then in 1915, uh, the campaign in East Africa wasn't going well and more fighting soldiers were needed. And a huge recruitment campaign took place amongst the Cape community uh, on the Cape Flats. And uh, so one Cape Corps was formed and, and these men went to fight. Okay. And I've just seen a message that has come through from uh, Philip. Hi, Sue and Peter. How <laughs> wonderful to be hearing both your voices, enjoying the fascinating show from, uh, from, from I think it says two. 12,000 kilometers away. <laughs> He's in Australia. Hi, Phil. Philip is General Smuts's great grandson and a, a good friend uh, of Philip, uh, of Peter's and mine. Peter, you know, I, I, I picked up an article and it said that um, some 80,000 black South Africans served in World War II as part of what was called the Native Military Corps. But they were they were actually not treated kind of as as equals at the time, and there was quite an interesting article by a, a, a Simon Mushlanga, who who's, who says he's about 106. His family say he's a bit older, and he's one of the last surviving soldiers of the Native Military Corps. And apparently, he he was given like a bicycle at the end, whereas others were gifted with the white ones were gifted. Um, with medical aids and some of them with houses. He, the black soldiers were given boots or bicycles. He said he was gifted with the latter. And, um, and he said that in cemeteries, black servicemen were not allowed to rest alongside their white comrades. Sue, you know, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one, Matt. And it, I always say you've got to put all, all things like that into the context of their times. Mm-hmm. It was cruel. Um, there's no doubt that it was hurtful. But in the context of its time, it was the acceptable uh, situation. Um, Isn't that awful? I mean, some black soldiers, they, it goes on to say, have never been commemorated. So I'd like to think that today we're also commemorating their lives and thanking them for actually fighting for freedom for us. Well, that, that, that's one of the things that, that that's coming out of this memorial that we're doing with yes, the Pura, is. with mm-hmm. with the, the 633 odd uh, black soldiers that went down with the Iran Pura, and they, they in fact had a very strong connection with Palestine. Um, Why? Because Why during the war things weren't going so well at one stage, and harbors needed to be improved, and there was a, a, a South African engineering regiment called the, the 43rd Harbour Company, and they improved the harbour at uh, harbours in Egypt, harbours on the Palestine coast, um, uh, and, and they did a lot of work in that respect. And then it was decided to take the railway line that ended at, at Akko, or Akker, and take it all the way through to Beirut to be able to move men and, and military equipment uh, with ease in order to fight the Vichy French who were in control of Syria at that stage. And uh, Smuts once again was on, on the Imperial War Cabinet and he said, well, the most suitable people for this were South African uh, South Africans and they recruited the 40th Railway Company 
from South African railway workers, many were experienced in the laying of railway lines. Mm -hmm. And in order to complete the line, they had to blast tunnels through the Russia-Nikra headlands. You actually wrote an article about that as well. Yes, some time ago. Yeah. And who better to blast those, those tunnels than South African miners? So one, 162 South African tunneling company was established with volunteer miners from South Africa. Mm. But of course, being South African miners and, 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 and so on, they were used to working with black labor. And they called for black labor to, to assist them. And a lot of the, the, the people who had worked on the mines came from uh, Lesotho. At that stage, it was still uh, Basutu land and Botswana land and Swaziland. So mm. a big recruitment drive went on in those three British protectorates. And it was called the African Auxiliary Pioneer Corps. Pioneer euphemism for uh, labor. Okay. And two of the companies that were established, 1919 Company and 1927 Company, found themselves in Palestine, 1919 working on the railway line and 1927 working on the tunnels. Mm. Mm. At the same time, recruitment was taking place in Palestine for the British Army, which was not too keen on arming the Jewish soldiers that were, were being recruited. And one of the, the, the groups that was recruited became uh, 462 uh, transport company. They were not, they were also non-combatant because the British government felt it was dangerous to give them arms. There would be an insurrection in Israel or Palestine. Wow. Yeah. So the unarmed, non-combatant Jewish soldiers provided the transport and other services for the unarmed, non-combatant black soldiers. And obviously a bond formed between these people. Well, they were both sort of being kept out in many ways, weren't they? Absolutely. absolutely yeah. Absolutely. And I I don't know whether, I don't think that black South Africans to a large degree realize the background of this sort of history. When one Mm. looks at the the views about Israel that come out of South Africa, um, they're not aware of these facts. And that they're not aware of the fact that there's been these connections for for at least a hundred years, more. And then during this period, as the tunnels were being completed and the line was being completed, the Germans were attacking Malta. There was a huge air attacks on Malta, and new fortifications were needed. The authorities decided to move one nine one nine company and one nine two seven. The two black companies to Malta, and of course the transport company had to go with them. And they boarded a ship, the SS Erinpura in Alexandria, on the 29th of April 1943, and on the morning of the 1st of May 1943, uh, a German uh, Luftwaffe Henkel torpedoed the ship, and it went down. Good heavens. And it was being escorted as well, as you said it, it in the a huge escort, article. Escort. Yes. I mean, you say here they boarded the SS Irinpura, which was carrying almost a thousand troops when it set sail for Alexandria and in 1943, April, and was one of the SS Irinpura was one of six troop, uh, troop ships in a fleet escorted by six Royal Navy. My, my um, uncle was uh, a colonel, a, a, a specialist in the Royal Navy. 
And so it was uh, escorted by six Royal Navy and four Greek Navy destroyers, supported by two Royal Navy minesweepers. But none of that saved them. Right? You go on Nothing to say this uh, protection was to no avail. So what yes. actually happened? Well, the, the, the Hinkle was, was un, whether it was unexpected, whether the anti-aircraft fire was inefficient, I don't know. You know, destroyers and so on are not, not equipped as anti-aircraft uh, uh, vessels as such. Mm-hmm. Um, although mm-hmm. the ship had its own protection, but this Hinkle obviously got through. And in doing my research, I came across a very interesting uh, article by an Israeli military historian. His name escapes me at the moment. And he's, he posits that that particular ship was targeted by the, by the Luftwaffe because mm. it had the 300 Jews on it. None of the other, none of the other six, the other five were left unscathed. Nobody attacked them, nothing at all. So how do you think they knew that the Jews were on board? Well, obviously, you know, intel- military intelligence, uh, uh, uh oh. things become known. Uh, whether that is fact or not, I don't know, but it's it's a theory that does make a little bit of sense. Mm, mm, mm. But needless There's to say... The, so many black uh, members had to go down with it. Yes. Well, that's mm. that's one of, uh, you know, that, that's the story of war. You Absolutely. Target, you target a military emplacement, you kill 10 soldiers and 200 civilians. Yeah, and absolutely. We see it now, the, don't we? Um, there was a thousand troops... And 800 were actually killed. Yes. So a few, right. uh, um, what, 200 managed to survive. Um, and out of those, so there was 139 Jewish soldiers, you say, and one who was rescued but died later. And so that brings it up to 140. And then 633 uh, Sutu and 11 Swana soldiers. Yes. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah, that, that's right. Now, there uh, are memorials to the Erempura in, in uh, Lesotho, in Botswana, and in uh, now it's called Eswatini. Oh, I see that. You say that tangible evidence of the strong connection between the people of Southern Africa and Israel. Yeah. It's um, interesting. There's a message just come through that. Was that you or, or my um, electricity? Carol Kruger says, Morning, Sue. Years ago, we used to also commemorate Poppy Day, and we would donate and receive a red poppy to wear. Why is it not done in this country anymore? But we're going to a break, and then we'll get back. You're going to have to answer that, so do some research. Thank you, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and I'm back with Peter Bailey. And we're about to hear a very short YouTube by by Winston Churchill, which was in 1942, and uh, to members of the Canadian Parliament. Thank you, Craig. Members of the Canadian Parliament hear Mr. Churchill's speech, during which he pays tribute to Canadian soldiers on active service. In a few months, when the invasion season returns, the Canadian Army may be engaged in one of the most frightful battles the world has ever seen. We are not asked that the rules of the game should be modified. If any, we shall never descend 
to the German and Japanese level. But if anybody likes to play rough, we can play rough too. Hitler and his Nazi gang of... of... of stone the wind. Let them reap the whirlwind. Neither the length of the struggle nor any form of severity which it may assume will make us weary or will make us quit. I've been all this week with the President of the United States. That great man whom... whom destiny has marked for this climax of human fortune. We have been concerting the uh, united pacts and resolves of more than 30 states and nations to fight on in unity together and in fidelity, one with another, without any thought except the total and final extirpation of the Hitler tyranny of the Japanese frenzy and the Mussolini flop. And of the military leaders of France at the time of the French collapse, Mr. Churchill says... But their generals misled them. When I warned them that Britain would fight on alone, whatever they did, their generals told their prime minister and his divided cabinet, in three weeks, England will have a neck run like a chicken. Some chicken. <laughs> this is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. On the podcast, uh, this is Sue Jackson on 101.9 High FM, and I'm back with Peter Bailey on Zoom from Israel. Peter, that was actually such a, I'll send it to you afterwards, it was such a good YouTube clip, but uh, we lost him a bit there. It might come through on the podcast. Um, Peter, Carol wanted to know what you think about Poppy Day. Why don't we celebrate it? Sue, you know, I think the passage of time more than anything else, the, the poppy was, was immortalized uh, as a symbol of, of, of peace, as a symbol of the end of the war. Uh, I think he was a Canadian soldier poet, wrote the poem, In Flanders Field Did Poppies Grow. Oh, that's um, right. And mm. those poppies were destroyed in the bombardments and, and so on. And they were destroyed. And when peace came, these poppies all grew up again. No sooner <laughs> did the bombardment stop and the poppies resurfaced. So the poppy was became very much a symbol of, of the, the reawakening of, of, of peace and that life had returned to normality. And it was adopted by, particularly in London, by, by I'm not sure, what, by the Ajax, the Association of Ex-Service Leagues, and the poppy became absolutely the symbol of peace. 
and mm. renewal and regrowth. And this carried on, but I think with the passage of time, in London it's still very strong. Yeah, very. In South Africa to a large degree, particularly with a new, the new political dispensation in South Africa, with the, the tradition of, the, of, of uh, war is not the same, or, or the remembrance of the, uh, of the armistice is not the same, a, a different impetus is given. Um, mm. So the poppy has fallen into disuse. Which was a, rather a pity, but you know, I also picked up this about, um, it was uh, somebody, they said, as we remember the armistice coming up later this week, so it was obviously a few weeks ago, um, some humanity somewhere in this complex world. About six miles from Maastricht in the Netherlands lie buried 8,301 American soldiers who died in Operation Market Garden in the battles to liberate Holland in the fall of 1944. Every one of the men buried in the cemetery, as well as those in the Canadian and British military cemeteries, has been adopted by a Dutch family who mind the grave. They decorate it and keep alive the memory of the soldier they have adopted. It is even the custom to keep a portrait of their soldier in a place of honor in their home. Annually on Liberation Day, um, the services are held for the men who died to liberate Holland. The day concludes with a concert. And I think it's such a lovely idea, isn't it? Uh, you know, to actually, it's more or less what Israel does for their lone soldiers. Yes, well, it's adopt a soldier, really. Um, mm, mm, very much. Uh, yes. Um, um, now, going back uh, to to our actual um, Jewish people in the the Jewish members, I came across another very interesting article by Ava Markman, and he talks about his dad and, you know, how he's, this is actually a, a, a memory for his dad. But very interesting, he says, during the South African War, also known as the Boer War, 2,800 Jews fought on the side of the British. Of these, 125 were killed. That's quite interesting, hey? But Jews also fought with the Boers under something or other on the battlefield. And then here it's also during the Great War, in all the theatres of war, many of the Springbok soldiers were from the South African Jewish community. And he names a few of them, uh, Barnes, Gluckman, Joseph, Lack, Myers, Reuben, Solomon, Rudolph, and another Solomon, all well-known Port Elizabeth Jewish names. And uh he then he goes on about the two Second World War and uh, and how quickly the South African Jews actually did rally to the cry of of getting there. Well, it's interesting. Soon, both the First and the Second World Wars, uh, which were volunteers, ten percent of the Jewish population volunteered in the First World War as opposed to 4% of the general population, that's the white population. And the Second World War gained 10%, as opposed to 6% of the white population. Good heavens. We're going to get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Peter Bailey on Zoom from Israel. 
And uh, we have been talking about uh, many things, but the one thing is about this um, the South African National Jewish War Memorial at West Park Cemetery that's going up in remembrance of the South African soldiers who sacrificed their lives in the great wars of the 20th century. This is a, a, a plaque that's being moved around and it's going to be very fascinating. I hope a lot of, a lot of people listening in are actually going to be going to it. Now, another message has come through on my, my message thing here, Peter, saying, what, what keeps you involved with the military in Israel and here? Sue, one, one thing keeps me involved and that is, I believe that the memory of our fallen soldiers is absolutely sacred. Mm. Um, without them, we wouldn't be here. Um, and they have to be remembered and they have to be properly remembered. And when I started my research on the, on the Cape Corps, and just, just to add, the 51 or 52 members of the one Cape Corps that died in Megiddo are all buried on Mount Scopus in Jerusalem. Oh. Um, and uh, an exiled African living in Jerusalem, Richard Shavetzion, has taken it upon himself to visit that cemetery. And he's uh, engaged with the Commonwealth War Graves Commission to, to, to clean them up and to tidy them up and to see that they are properly looked after. Mm. Um, and if Richard is listening, I hope he is. Thank you, Richard. Um, but Thank as I you. say, the, that's to honor the, the dead, really. It's amazing. Yes. Mm. Um, and in South Africa, well, I was horrified also, there's no memorial to one Cape Corps. Uh, not in Israel. There's much made of the Anzac, the, the Australian and, and, and the New Zealand soldiers, to a lesser degree the Indian soldiers, but absolutely nothing for the South African soldiers that fell in the First World War in Palestine. And hopefully I'm working now with uh, Dave Kaplan, who you know is the chairman of the Ochberg uh, Heritage Committee. We're working together with the JNF and with uh, Karen Kayemet to get a, a memorial put up to one Cape Corps in Israel. Oh, that would be fantastic. You know, Maya Angelo says how important it is for us to to remember and to recognize and celebrate our heroes and sheroes. Uh, so the heroes was heroes and sheroes. I rather like that just as a bit of uh, humor in this. I'm being told already to wrap up, but, you know, I would like to just give out the RSVP. If anyone wants to go to this, um, to the war memorial, you please uh, get hold of the South African Zionist Federation, 011-645-2601 or admin at SAZF.org. Peter, oh, how oh, would you like to... Sorry, even if they haven't RSVP'd, if you want to go... Please go. And remember to be there at 10.30 for 11, to be seated by 10.45. I think it's going to be worthwhile for all of those who are asking about how they can uh, actually commemorate the poppy day which has passed. It would be a good thing to go, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, you know, remembering our fallen soldiers, nothing beats it. 
Absolutely. And, you know, Mahatma Gandhi said, if we are to teach real peace in this world, and if we are to carry on a real war against war, we shall have to begin with the children. That's very true. That's true for every single country in the world. And thank you so much, Peter, for being on my program. I'm hoping that um, Churchill's little saying will come through on our podcast. Otherwise, I will send it to you. And I really enjoyed this time spent with you. Thank you, Sue. And just, just a final word. He who saves one person saves the world. How many Amen. worlds have how many worlds have been lost in war? Absolutely. Amen to that, very definitely. And thank you again. I've been told. Thank you, Sue. Thank you so Thanks. much, Peter. Thank you.